in a stadium rich with tradition. We have that here, and it reeks. And when you come in, teams take the field, they can feel it. The lights shine the brightest. Definitely playing at Camp Brandon is one of the best places to play in college football. This is the Camp. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, and the Athletics' Jesse Temple on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Yes, welcome into the camp here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. I'm Zach Heilprin. He is Jesse Temple from The Athletic. We're back. It's been a few months since uh, we last did an episode of the camp, but uh, spring football right around the corner. Badgers will get things going on Tuesday at Camp Randall Stadium. And uh, the, it's spring ball for the first time since 2019. Obviously, everything got wiped out by the pandemic uh, last year. It's getting started a little bit later. It's going to be ending a little bit later than normal. But at least, hey, Jesse, spring ball. I never thought I'd be so excited for the thought and potential site of spring practices. But like you said, it's been a long time. And I'm interested to see what this team looks like. Is, there's been a lot of change this offseason um, on the field in terms of personnel and also in the coaching staff. There's a lot of turnover both, you're right, on the roster and in the coaching staff as uh, Paul Chris begins his seventh season already with Wisconsin. Plenty of success uh, over these last few years. This past year, not great, but I think a lot of things go into, into that, certainly. I wanted to get into a couple of uh, recent stories you've written. You've been doing a great job in catching up with all the guys that have left the program. You've, you've been keeping busy, I guess, in that respect, certainly, uh, as uh, there have been quite a few exits. The most recent one, and I think they'll probably the one that is at least very interesting to the future of the program, that would be the interview with John Budmeyer, who is now the offensive coordinator out at Colorado State. You had an opportunity to catch up with him recently, and he got uh, gave you a little bit of a breakdown of what his season was like. Uh, we all know that Graham Mertz was was up and down, and I don't, I'm not going to put a ton of blame on this on this situation with, with John Budmeyer having an impact on Graham, but you had to think it had to have a little bit. We talked to Garrett Groshek after the year, and he mentioned about how Graham had to play through uh, not having his quarterback's coach. And we were like, oh, okay, what's going on with that? But it was part of a long season, I think, for, for the team and for uh, John Budmeyer. He was out for two weeks with COVID, just one part of uh, uh, a tough season for him. Yeah, and, and – yeah, we were talking to Garrett Groshek. That was after the the bowl game, and I had asked Garrett a question about Graham and and just the challenges that Graham had to overcome during the season, even though everybody else did as well. And he mentioned, kind of uh, certainly unbeknownst to me, and I think everyone else that was covering the program, that Bud Meyer was out for a certain period of time. He didn't specify why, but he said that Graham had to do quote a lot of learning on the fly end quote and. That quote certainly stuck out to me at the time, and I had an opportunity to talk to, to John this week. He's out at Colorado State. Uh, he's the offensive coordinator there, and they're, they're wrapping up spring practices. And I asked him about it, and he was very forthright. He said he'd been dealing with uh, what a lot of people in the country have been dealing with was COVID, and it knocked him out for preparation of both the Iowa and Indiana games. So a critical two-week stretch of the season and he wasn't able to be around, obviously. And certainly he wasn't the, the first coach or player to, to have that situation. But uh, it was just fascinating to hear that and really realize that behind the scenes and, and inside those doors that we didn't have access to and practices, it was the probably the most tumultuous season I can ever remember um, because of COVID and, and obviously all the injuries. So so that certainly contributed, I would imagine, to some of the issues that Wisconsin experienced in those couple of games. 
but they really never had their full personnel offensively after the opener. So that that's one of the things that Bud Meyer talked about. And there were some other interesting things. I asked him about each of the four scholarship quarterbacks on the roster this year. Um, and I encourage you to check out that story. He's very complimentary of Graham and talked about some of the things he's needed to work on and, and the advice that he gave him coming into this season. Um, and also I asked him about Jack Cohn's transfer. He didn't really divulge much, um, but he's very close with Jack and, and obviously they had conversations and Jack saw things one way and the coaches saw things probably a little bit different way. And now Jack's at Notre Dame. So, um, yeah, so those exit interviews have been really interesting to, to, uh, to participate in for sure. All right. So through all of those, and I, I'd like to get in a little bit more of what John said. I know, it, I guess it's behind a paywall, so maybe I, I'll, I'll let you decide what you want to say. No, it's uh, perfectly fine. Okay. We can talk about whatever, whatever okay. you want. All right. Uh, I, all right. So let's let's stick with John Budmeyer then. Where does Graham – I mean, Graham is certainly going to be the focus, I think, for anybody that sees practice this spring. He's going to be a focus for, for everyone, right? Like where does he need to take steps? Because at times we saw greatness and at times we saw some struggles. Well, this is what John said. I asked him a couple questions about Graham. First, I asked him what steps did he feel like Graham took last season. And the biggest one was learning how to lead when times are difficult. We all know this. Basically, before last season, Graham was walking on water for three years in a row. He could do no wrong. The year before, he barely played, and everyone was so high on him. His senior year of high school and, and junior year as well, he was fantastic. Uh, but learning to lead in those difficult times was something that uh, John said he, he enjoyed watching him. But in terms of on the field, it was not trying to make the perfect play uh, when you're pressing and instead trusting your progressions and reads and timing and allowing the play to work. And that was something that Bud Meyer said he felt like Graham did sometimes last season was he would press, he would try to force something and make a big play and make it all back in one play. And we saw there was a stretch there where Graham had some issues with turning the ball over, throwing interceptions. And, and John said that that's compounding the negatives when, when you're not in rhythm and, and you are trying to throw a pass that you probably shouldn't. So I think that's that's one thing that he looked at. And then just trusting reading coverages in general. Um, so I think those are some of the things that, that Bud Meyer said that he talked to Graham about before he left for Colorado State. I think a natural uh, segue here is into the guy who's going to be taking John Bud Meyer's spot at quarterbacks coach as yeah. Paul Christ, right? Paul Christ is going to be filling in uh, a job that he held when he was the offensive coordinator at Wisconsin. He was also the quarterbacks coach, uh, was essentially the quarterbacks coach his first few years before they gave it to John, though John was certainly heavily, heavily involved with the quarterbacks and was kind of a, kind of a de facto quarterbacks coach before they, they uh, went to the 10 on-field assistants. So, but he's going in, and now it's going to be back into – Paul's hands and it is a significant change because it also with that with that he told he told I believe the Wisconsin State Journal and the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel that he's also retaking the play calling duties so he's going to be putting quite a bit on his plate this season and it comes after he told us last year that you know he gave the play calling up to Joe Rudolph because one he trusted him two he didn't think he had enough time to uh, in the offseason last year to study properly and be in a good spot to do it. And three, he didn't want to shortchange the rest of the team. One year later, he's going full, diving full into it, right? Quarterbacks coach, play caller, head coach. Well, you made the argument when we last convened for an episode that 
he was shortchanging the team by not utilizing the skill set that allowed him to grow as a football coach, right? To to call plays, to do the things that made him successful when he was the offensive coordinator here. So I give credit to you that <laughs> that you you called that out, and obviously Paul feels that that's best for the direction of the program. And I imagine this probably wasn't the the easiest conversation to have, right? He spent so many years with Joe Rudolph. Rudolph finally got that role, got a little more control of the offense. And last year was a total mess for reasons that went beyond Rudolph's control, I think. <laughs> you didn't have most of your your starters at various points of the season. Having said that, Paul obviously feels like he's in better position this year with a full offseason with actual 15 spring practices to be able to to handle all those roles. I'll be very interested to see exactly what that looks like. We know when Bud Meyer was here how much time he devoted to the quarterbacks. Paul's going to have to spend a lot of time with the quarterbacks, but he's also in charge of the offense and the whole team. So that is a lot of responsibility on his plate, um, and this is going to be a, a very interesting season to see to see how he handles it all. How much do you think it is, you know, bringing obviously getting Jim Leonard to stick? Right, that was that was a huge part of this these last couple of months. Him not taking the job with the Green Bay Packers that he was offered to be their defensive coordinator. Him coming back to Wisconsin again is it kind of like all right, Jim? And I'm thinking from Paul's standpoint, the defense is yours. The defense is yours. I will handle this side of the ball. Kind of, kind of like what it was when he was the off coordinator and Brett Bielema was the head coach, was, which I know Bielema was not a huge fan of, but it was kind of the way it was. It was, you know, Bielema, you stay on that side of the building. I'll take care of this side of the building. <laughs> um, I don't know how segregated the coaching staff's going to be, but in terms of uh... – in terms of what Paul's responsibilities are, um, I do I do think it's interesting that they ultimately decided to hire a cornerbacks coach to probably lessen what's on Jim's plate. And in doing that, you can only have so many assistant coaches. You can't hire a full-time quarterbacks coach, and that, that means Paul takes over that role. So I don't know what kind of conversations were had about if Jim decided to stay, how, how that would work out. I mean, obviously it required Bud Meyer to leave too, but that was an interesting move too because I, I would have – Imagine they just were going to go out and hire another quarterbacks coach, and, and that's not what they did. They did not. Uh, and I'm wondering what this means for Joe Rudolph going forward. Is yeah. this is this a what happened this offseason? Is that a demotion in your mind? Well, I mean, if he was the offensive coordinator and he, he no longer is, it sort of feels like one. But having said that, I mean, he's obviously – he, from – what was said in the offseason felt like in doing that he couldn't devote as much time as he wanted to to the offensive line, which is a tremendous responsibility in its own right at a place like Wisconsin. So uh, I suppose if, as long as he doesn't view it as one and 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 the coaches don't, then it isn't. But when when you're a coach, you want to get as high as you can. And an offensive coordinator is a, a big role. And I think after that, it's natural to to see whether you can be a, a head coach. And I'm not saying Joe can't get there in, in this capacity, but um, I'm talking in circles and I think it depends on your perspective. <laughs> but if he's good with it and Paul's good with it, then it's okay. That had to have been an uncomfortable conversation though. I would imagine it probably wasn't the most enjoyable. Um, and look, I give Paul credit for doing what he believed was right. Cause that's certainly not easy. And it's not going to be with somebody that you've got a good relationship like he does with Rudolph. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how the, this all plays out. They don't technically have an offensive coordinator anymore. Like, there's there's nobody with that title in the coaching staff. So, I wonder if that's the first time that's ever happened. Like in the in the uh, modern in, in the modern age of college football, probably not. 
Um, it's probably been a, a while, uh, at least at Wisconsin. I mean, Joe's title now, he's associate head coach. He's the offensive line coach. He's the run game coordinator, which uh, is an interesting title. <laughs> um, I would I would have thought the running backs coach would be, but uh, <laughs> another year of turnover too. I want to say, uh, wasn't, wasn't Bob Bostad when he was the offensive line coach also the run game coordinator? I think that might have been – before it's your that was before then yeah either way it's irrelevant paul's going to be calling the plays it's back to what it was what everyone was hoping for in previous years uh or yeah back to what it was prior to last year and I, i'm sure joe is still gonna have a i think a role there right like i would think he's still gonna have a role certainly in the game planning aspect of it and uh i would think on the day-to-day as well he had a role in it before last year and uh, I imagine he will again, but that is certainly a change and one that I think a lot of people were looking forward to or are looking forward to because that is, as I s- said numerous times, I think last season is that's what made Paul Chris Paul Chris. That's what got him the jobs that as a head coach, it, it wasn't necessarily a whole lot to do with, with everything else. Now, certainly that's a huge part of it, running a program and being able to recruit and all that good stuff, but uh, people wanted him because of his offense and the way that uh, it was humming there in 2010 and 2011. So... That I is, will say this, that Paul, from what I gather, seems to be pretty inclusive in discussing and, and mm-hmm. determining offensive game plans and schemes. And this was another thing that struck me in my interview with Bud Meyer, is that the the more experience that Bud got, the more Chris allowed him to have the freedom in, in calling up some plays, especially from what Bud Meyer said, like third down passing plays. That was a role that, that Bud Meyer got to have a bigger and bigger say in, and we know that Paul and, and Joe had collaborated before. So even though Paul is ultimately going to be the one calling the shots, I have to imagine that uh, you know he is open to hearing ideas from, from different people within that program. Yeah. So we mentioned, obviously, the decision by uh, Jim, uh, Jim Leonard to stay at Wisconsin. If he doesn't leave for that job, if he doesn't leave for the defensive coordinator of the Green Bay Packers, his home state, a franchise that is right on the cusp of going to the Super Bowl and uh, potential, you know, to be a Super Bowl winner, and it's the what's one of the cornerstone franchises of the NFL. If he's not leaving for that, what's he leaving for? It's kind of my question too. It makes me think he's at Wisconsin for the long haul, and there is something to be said for happiness and job stability. Right? He's got a, a young family. They built a house here. He's obviously from Wisconsin. He played here. And he's done a great job, and he gets compensated very well. He's in the top 25 in the country in, in coordinator or in assistant coach pay. And certainly that, I imagine, will continue to go up. But he makes over a million dollars doing something that he's happy doing. Um, I would have thought that that was the exact job that he would have left for. You know, when, when the, he was in the discussion for the head coaching job at Illinois that Brett Bielma ultimately got, that one never made any sense to me. Um, but a coordinator in the NFL in his home state, it just felt perfect but he said it didn't feel like the right time and i certainly believe there will be future opportunities for him just because as he closed he closed the door now doesn't mean it won't be open later either with the packers or with another team but yeah it does make you wonder um how long he's going to be here and i think this is a, a pretty big statement about how he values wisconsin no doubt all right so let's get into spring ball and some of the guys that uh, are no longer around we obviously there are going to be uh, uh shoes to fill or holes to fill at running back you uh talked to nakia watson he's gone garrett groshek gone 
it opens up quite a few carries, and we'll see if that is uh, going to belong to Jalen Berger. You would think it would. I feel like this is a huge spring for him. Oh, I think it is going to be too. He didn't. I mean, he came in in the fall, and first game he didn't play, and we were wondering what was going on. And ultimately, he wound up leading the team in rushing. Yep. And I think that's it's pretty clear if you look at the snap counts from last year, even. Groshek had 239. This is among the running backs. Watson had 132. Berger had 112. And then nobody else had more than 15. Brady Shipper had 15 snaps. Isaac Arendo got three. And Julius Davis got one. So there's not a ton of experience at the position. And because of what Berger did last season, he's the clear-cut number one coming in. It's almost more interesting to me about what else Wisconsin's going to do at running back. I I feel pretty certain that Berger's going to be the number one guy. And I don't know what that means in terms of number of carries I imagine close to 20 because I, I unless they feel like they've got the running back by committee that they planned on doing this past season which maybe they do there's just a ton of questions to answer after Berger and it's with a lot of guys that we haven't seen very much of yeah no it definitely is uh, Garendo you would think would play a role right like they they were expecting him to kind of be their big playback last year in that three-headed monster along with Groshek and Nikia Watson that never played out because he got hurt early on and, and just was never able to see the field uh, after that first game. Right. We never saw him again. <laughs> so that was a, that's certainly a tough season for Garendo and he didn't get the experience. But I I believe he'll be the backup running back come this season unless somebody comes in and does something really special. And I will say that the door is wide open for a young guy to do that because they have three running backs coming in in this class none of whom are participating in spring practice. Um, but that doesn't mean that they can't earn a role, as we saw not only with Berger last season, but with Jonathan Taylor uh, a few years ago. Correct. But it's it's Garendo, and can Julius Davis make the leap because it wasn't there last year. <laughs> he got one carry in Minnesota game, and it was after Shipper got a carry. Do you think he can? I think that he can uh, if he's healthy, if he's gets a, a chance to showcase his talent. But I'm basing it on what I saw like three years ago. And so that doesn't necessarily always translate because you were incredible as a junior in high school. And for your first two games, your senior year, that doesn't mean it's going to pan out in college. I'd be really curious to see what happens, though, if he gets a shot. I feel like he will benefit more than anybody else from a change at the running backs coach position. That is possible. I would say that's probably accurate. Yeah. So that was that. I mean, obviously, John Budmeyer out, John settled to Kentucky and defensive line coach Inoki Brechtefield to Vandy. But, yes, so they have those three coaches out, and, um, you know, it, it's, it's going to be a change. It's a, it's a new beginning, I think, for, for a lot of guys at those positions, specifically at running back and at defensive line. But let's go on and, and move on to the wide receiver spot where Wisconsin got a huge, huge – and I don't think we've talked since uh, the, these announcements came down – the announcement of Danny Davis and Kendrick Pryor returning – a huge, huge lift to that room. I, I, I don't think that there were two bigger announcements this offseason than those two. Yeah, we, I, we expected this to happen because Joe Rudolph said that he had talked to them and he expected it to happen, but we obviously didn't get confirmation until both of them made that announcement. And you're right. Davis is a fifth-year senior. Pryor's a sixth-year senior. They were the two top guys coming into last season, and it never materialized because they couldn't stay on the field. So you've got those two guys. Jack Dunn is back. Jim Ray DK is back. I think that's a that's probably how you're opening the season with your top four, unless one of these young guys can perhaps get past Dunn. But there are a lot of options, and that's good news for fans and certainly good news for Graham Mertz, who 
didn't have much to work with at a lot of times last season. I think, you know, somewhat quietly, Danny Davis has a chance to put, to put together a top 10 receiving career in Wisconsin history. He's got, he's got 99 catches, 1,164 yards, 12 touchdowns. Based on where those numbers are, he could finish the top 10 in all three of those categories. Uh, Kendrick Pryor has, has done, obviously, plenty of his career. And then, obviously, Jake Ferguson as well at the tight end spot coming back has a chance to, to be right up there in terms of tight ends, perhaps only behind Travis Beckham in, in terms of stats. So it's those three weapons, huge. It's, it, those, you know, obviously recruiting-wise, and, and Jake, you know, had another year no matter what, but obviously recruiting-wise, they had a top 15 class, but I think those three are probably the biggest recruits, and I'm using those in air quotes, as, as anybody. Like, getting those guys to come back, uh, is as big a boon than anything that they added actually from the high school class. I think that's fair when discussing specifically this 2021 season. Obviously, those mm-hmm. guys are going to be massive contributors. And as you said, the, the 2021 class is, from a, a recruiting ranking standpoint, the highest that it's ever been. But I don't necessarily know that you're going to need to rely on many of those guys, if any, this season. So getting Ferguson back, a really big deal. And the wide receiver group, I don't know how many opportunities there are going to be for some of those young guys. And it's interesting because I've heard some fans kind of grumble about some of the seniors coming back and that it's taking away opportunities from young guys that would have otherwise played a ton. Ultimately, I I feel like anybody would want the best players to play. And the coaching staff, I don't think, is going to play a senior just because he's old if a young guy is better. Um, But there are a lot of young names to watch. I feel like Devin Chandler, what he did late in the season was very encouraging A.J. Abbott got a lot of reps late in the season, Stephon Bracey as well, and they've got Marcus Allen coming in in this class, who I think can be a real game changer, maybe not this season, but potentially down the road. So there's a lot of talent, uh, and you're right, those three as big a names uh, on the roster this season. Offensive line. What guy along that line is one that is uh, going to grab your eye during spring practice? To me, it's Logan Brown, right? The the five-star guy, the huge signee other than Mertz in the 2019 class because Cole Van Landen's gone, and I think that's Brown's job to lose. I don't know if somebody else is going to come in and compete for time, whether that's Trey Wedig, whether Nolan Rucci comes in in the fall and vies for time, but Brown is somebody that fans have been very excited about for a long time. He was injured. He had an arm injury his first year and got some reps last season. He played 58 snaps the whole year, most of them in the bowl game. And he's the one that I want to watch because we haven't had a chance to, to really see him because, as you said, no spring practice last year. We didn't have access to fall practices uh, for understandable reasons. So what does he have? Because the other four guys are guys we've seen before. They are, but what you've gone and done your two deep, right? Like you did it uh, after the season, what you projected was going to look like. Just run through it real quickly for me. This is what I have, and hopefully uh, we'll be able to determine for ourselves in, in spring. But I got Logan as the left tackle, and then the other guys are, as I said, names you've heard of. I, right now I've got Josh Seltzner as the starting left guard, and certainly he could be challenged for that. But this is a guy who's played in 32 games with seven starts. Uh, Caden Lyles, if healthy, and that's a big if, the starter at center. Otherwise, I would imagine it's Cormac Sampson. Logan Bruss at right guard and Tyler Beach at right tackle, because that was a move that uh, Joe Rudolph made last season. Having said that, there's a number of guys who could compete for time, and I certainly think Jack Nelson is up there. He is. He got some time at right tackle last year. We saw a little bit of him in, in game action, especially early in the year in those, those uh, blowout wins over Illinois and over Michigan. 
so much young talent there. So much young talent. It, it obviously we don't know this, and I should say, I should say young talent on paper. We don't know exactly what it's going to look like on the field, but a lot of young talent and even more coming in in the fall. They're stacked there in terms of moving forward. Could be even more so after the 2022 class, assuming they get the guys that they want. These these last three classes, last four classes, are just uh, really, really building it up to the point where it's back, you would think, potentially, potentially, to when Paul and, and Joe Rudolph left in 2010 and 2011. Now, again, it's all on paper talent. It hasn't actually you know, moved into what uh, a dominant offensive line, but it's gearing up that way, you would think. From a pure talent perspective, this is the most talented offensive line that 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 they've had in, in a long time, at least based out of high school. I'm, I'm not saying, as you said, 2010, 2011, those go down as some of the greatest, if not the greatest offensive lines that Wisconsin has ever had. But Logan Brown, five-star player. Joe Tippman was a four-star prospect in, the, in that class who's going to be in the two-deep as well. The 2020 class, they brought in five offensive linemen, and the two headliners were Jack Nelson and Trey Wedig. Wedig was a four-star. Nelson also a four-star. He was bumped up to a five-star by 24-7 after he dominated in the All-American Bowl. And then in this class, they've got three four-star players. The three highest-rated players in their class are all the offensive linemen. Rucci, the five-star prospect. J.P. Benchual, Riley Malman, both four-star prospects. They got the number one guy in the state from Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Minnesota. So pretty special what they've been able to do on the recruiting front on the offensive line for the last three classes. But we'll see how that translates to the college game. At tight end, there's a name, and I'd like to get your take on it. A name, obviously, we know about uh, Jake Ferguson. We know you know Clay Cundiff, and we know uh, Hayden Rucci, guys that have gotten some playing time. There's a name there, and we'll see – where what position he could be back on defense I don't know but Jalen Franklin just athletically reminds me a little bit of Travis Beckham he's he's clearly not that going to be that we I, I I wouldn't think but can he be the next receiving tight end because other than that it's it's Jack Essenbach that's that's what they've got there at this at this spot now they have some younger guys right Cam Large there and and uh Cole Dakovich yep so They've got those other guys, but I'm kind of I'm interested in seeing if Jalen Franklin can find a spot and, and grab onto it. Well, when Paul and the staff made the move, and uh, we talked to Paul before the season, he mentioned that Jalen gives them a dynamics a dynamic that they didn't necessarily have in the tight end room, and that is some of that athleticism and uh, maybe ability to separate. And we know that Jalen was very versatile even before they put him at tight end. But he wound up playing one snap at tight end last season. And I think fans were a little bit disappointed. Like, why did you move a guy who had the potential to be an impact player at outside linebacker over to tight end if you weren't going to play him? First of all, I think it says a lot about what the coaching staff believed it had at outside linebacker and the fact that a guy like Nick Herbig came in and started. Um, But also that they believed that Jalen could eventually take to this position. So with a whole year... I think he could be that guy. I don't know how many opportunities he's going to get this season, though, because we know Ferguson's going to get most of the targets. Hayden Rucci's going to be the top blocker. And I think either Clay Cundiff or Jack Eskenbach would be next in line for me. Eskenbach has perhaps been a little underrated at the tight end position because he's a walk-on, but there's a role to be had for Jalen. It's just how does he adapt to playing this position? Because it's not easy to make that switch from defense to offense at Wisconsin like that. Uh, Question. Jack Pugh, is he coming in early? Yes. He's here right now. He's one of six early enrollees in this class. So there's another guy you could throw into the mix too, right? Another one of those oh, athletic yeah, definitely. guys, right? Um, I'm, I'm glad you brought him up, right? He's got a basketball background. 
He originally thought he was going to play college basketball, and he he gave it up because he was pretty burnt out from it, and he went out for football his junior year, and they basically lined him up like a straight-up wide receiver. They just put him out wide in one-on-one coverage because he was 6'5", 235, and he could take advantage of mismatches. But I think – and then Rudolph talked about this too when we talked to him in the, on signing day in December – that he thinks he can give him something, especially on third down as a downfield threat, to separate, to go up and get the ball. And that's where that basketball background comes in. So certainly I think the fact that he's here early will help him. Yeah. Flipping over to the other side, familiar face, uh, defensive line coach. It is Ross Kalaji, who's been the strength coach for Paul Christ since coming back to Wisconsin. He played defensive line at Wisconsin, was a pretty good defense lineman, and uh, was on a Rose Bowl winning team before getting drafted in the NFL. Was it a, a surprise at all that they went that that way, though, staying in-house and bringing in a guy that, you know, while he played the position, he didn't necessarily have any experience coaching it? I feel like if, if you know Paul Chris, then it wasn't a surprise because he's going to bring in guys he trusts, that he knows can can get the job done. And it's not Jim Leonard to be the, the defensive backs coach and then hired him as defensive coordinator with one year of college experience. Now that's a little different because of his – known football acumen in the NFL, but not terribly surprising. And he's got a lot, Kalaji has a lot of uh, new pieces to work with on the defensive line. Well, and that's what I was going to say. Like he's not, this isn't walking into a system or a situation where he's got just a ton of talent back. He has to replace a bunch. Obviously Garrett Rand is gone and Isaiah Loudermilk also gone. And so you're working with Matt Henningsen. You know what? Uh, maybe that's being unfair to them. Matt Henningsen, a lot of experience, missed a lot of time last year with the, with the arm injury against Michigan. And then you have uh, the two inside guys with Bryson Williams, Keanu Benton, who Keanu Benton I think is going to be a star, and I think his name is going to come up a whole bunch more this year. And then behind them, it's it's kind of a who's next in. Isaiah Mullins got some time at defensive end last year, but there's a, there's a lot of depth building, I guess you would say, that needs to be happening in spring. Uh, heading into fall? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the, the starting defensive ends will be Henningsen and Mullins, but ton of guys with something to prove. James Thompson Jr., he was somebody that we saw very briefly uh, in the game that Henningsen got hurt. I think it was against Michigan. Yep. And then he got hurt. <laughs> yeah. He played a snap. Uh, but the fact that he was he had a season-ending right leg injury, but the fact that he was in at that time suggests he could be next in line. I think Cade McDonald is another intriguing prospect. And... Wisconsin just added a guy out of the transfer portal, Isaac Townsend. I'm, I'm really interested to see what happens with him. I just talked to him this week, actually, and, and um, his family and uh, the uh, the guy who helped recruit and put him in touch with Jim Leonard. He was at Oregon for two seasons, and uh, I don't think Oregon necessarily knew how to use him. He played some out. He was at outside linebacker. He was a defensive end, but he's coming in. He's going to be a D end. He says he weighs 268 pounds right now. He hopes to gain a little bit more weight by the time he gets here for the summer. Um, that's someone with two years in a Power Five program, even though he hasn't played. And Wisconsin doesn't necessarily go the transfer route unless they believe they've got someone who's the right fit. So maybe he can break into the two deep right away. Um, he expects to be eligible right away, obviously with. Uh, the transfer. Yeah, for sure. You know, the uh, the defense, for the most part, outside of up, up front, comes back largely intact. Uh, you get your two inside linebackers back. Noah Burks is back. Nick Herbig is back after a, a solid freshman season. And then, obviously, in the secondary, you, you lose some pieces there in Rashad Wild Goose and in uh, Eric Burrell. 
and then obviously Reggie Pearson is too. I want, I'd like to get to Reggie Pearson in a second because you obviously talked with his uh, his dad about his situation. But is there a spot on defense? You're like, uh, I don't know what they're going to do here. What are they going to do here? What's 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 looking at in between the linebackers and the secondary? Where are you looking at? I guess my biggest concern would be what happens if Sanborn or Chanel get hurt at inside linebacker. And Mike Mascalunas is back for a sixth year, mm-hmm. and he was listed as the backup at both spots. But nobody on the defense played more snaps than Sanborn or Chanel. You've got a ton of inside linebackers that are young, other than Mascalunas, with almost no experience. And at a certain point, those guys are going to need to get it. But you're right. I think Wisconsin is in a fortuitous position that they bring back both starters at inside. They bring back both starters at outside because Burks decided to come back. And you still got a lot of young talent there that you can work in. C.J. Getz. Isaiah Green May, who's been here for a while, Spencer Lytle too, Aaron Witt, even what he did in in some bursts last season, and you've got three outside linebackers coming in, and a secondary too. It's a lot of it's a lot of experience back there. Even though they lost a couple key guys, like at cornerback, there it's plenty of people with snaps played, and we know that Jim Leonard likes to rotate guys. So I still expect this defense to be one of the top. 15 defenses, top 20 defenses in the country because that's what we've expected and what we've seen, especially with Jim Leonard here. And that's despite losing a guy, and obviously they played without Rashad much of last season, but a lot of people really liking what he's done. He ran a 4-4-1 at his pro day in the 40. He's going to be, he's going to get drafted. I'm not sure where it's going to happen, but uh, I've seen some people rank him among the top 10 nickels, nickelbacks uh, available in the draft. So he's certainly going to get drafted. Eric Burrell, you would think has a chance perhaps late in the, uh, late in the draft. We'll see. And then obviously, um, you know, you got Reggie Pearson leaving. Uh, they did not have him last year. They were able to fill void because they have a, at last year they had, luckily for them, they had an embarrassment of riches at, at safety going into last year. And, and they still have a couple of guys, right. And Scott Nelson and in uh, Colin Wilder, but Reggie Pearson was an all big 10 type of player. And now he's not here. You had a chance to talk with his dad. Why is he not here? Yeah, it's it's uh, it's really unfortunate how this has played out because uh, I talked to his dad, and this has been a, a year long process. And what he told me is that last March Reggie went in for an MRI because he had ex- been experiencing troubles with a shoulder stinger. And I remember talking to him about this after one of the games in the 2019 season. It was something that had been bothering him since high school. So they wanted to make sure that it wasn't broken or that there wasn't something more severe. And Wisconsin sports medicine staff unintentionally discovered a medical condition that they deemed meant he couldn't play anymore. And his dad didn't want to get into what specifically it is that uh, his son has been dealing with, which I certainly understand. He has no obligation to. But he said it's something that he was born with that affects one in 200 people and that He's shown no symptoms. They weren't aware that he had it until Wisconsin discovered it. And then where things kind of went off the rails, at least from what his dad said, is they he can Reggie Pearson Jr. kept getting tests at Wisconsin, and he obviously wasn't cleared. And his dad told me that he wasn't even cleared to work out at the team facilities. Apparently, and this is what his dad said, that Paul Christ gave the okay, but there's a team physician on the football staff who has been pretty adamant that Reggie has no business playing football. Um, And so he he had to work out at local gyms around town in his apartment. And in this past uh, March 1st, so about three, four weeks ago, uh, they they brought Reggie home 
and they went to the Detroit Medical Center to seek a second opinion. And that doctor performed what's called an MRA, which is a type of MRI that looks specifically at the body's blood vessels. They got the results back March 8th, and this doctor gave Reggie Pearson a clearance letter. Um, so the family took that clearance letter to Wisconsin, and they hoped that this clearance letter would allow Reggie to then be cleared by Wisconsin. But the problem is that it's Wisconsin that would be liable if something terrible happened to Reggie, right, when he's out on the field. And just because he's cleared by an outside party has no bearing on whether Wisconsin's medical staff believes he's ready to, to compete. So he still wasn't cleared. Spring practice was going to start later in the month. And so Reggie reluctantly had to put his name in the transfer portal. And that's kind of where things stand is, is uh, his dad is, is disappointed because he felt like there should have been better communication. He felt like this team physician should have evaluated more closely the second opinion that gave him clearance. And he doesn't want to leave. Reggie doesn't want to leave, but he feels like he doesn't have a choice. And I should say that I reached out to Reggie and he didn't respond to, to calls or text messages for, for comment beyond what he tweeted about, which was a, a goodbye to, to Wisconsin and its fans. But the other thing is, I don't necessarily know what Reggie's future is as a football player because I asked his dad what level of confidence he had that a school would clear his son to play when Wisconsin wouldn't. And his hope is that other schools will accept the clearance letter of the doctor. But he even said it's a long shot. Something that we sat down and discussed as a family, and Reggie is willing to take that long shot. So that's where things are. Like I said, it's unfortunate the way this played out. Um, and I, the thing is, I think Wisconsin is doing what it believes is in the best interests of the player. I mean, if they if he could play, they would want him to play. Because just as you said, he could be a huge impact player. He was as a redshirt freshman in 2019. But they don't believe that he's medically he's not medically cleared to play or participate in, in athletic activities. And that's why he's, he's entered the transfer portal. But you got the feeling that there were parties at Wisconsin that wanted him to play. Well, his dad said that Paul has been fighting for Reggie's case, or, or at least trying to better understand why Reggie can't play. Um, and again, this is from his dad. So um, that's one side of things, but yeah, I mean, I, I, if he could play, he would be playing. But like I said, I mean, Wisconsin is, is being cautious and that's their prerogative. And, and that's why things are where they are. Now I've seen, he's gotten a couple of scholarship offers from uh, lower schools like Missouri state, I believe offered him, at least he tweeted about that. Um, but I was just looking at his dad's Twitter and his, his dad is still tweeting about test results and that type of stuff. Just, right. um, you know, which is unfortunate uh, because Reggie had a, had a bright future here. And uh, was, you know, was just a heat-seeking missile at times back there, kind of like a throwback, I would say, a little bit to the time, you know, a little bit of a Jay Valai type of player, but uh, perhaps maybe even better than Jay or would have been better than Jay ended up being. But uh, they don't have them. So now they have, uh, they have some other safeties that have played, but they've also got some younger guys that haven't. What, what about a guy like Travion Blaylock, who we have talked about, I feel like we've talked about him a bunch, it just... He was not a not maybe not a, a huge recruit, but a lot of, there was a lot of hope for him coming in as a quarterback. Obviously, not there anymore, playing safety a little bit. What do you think about him? Well, I, I talked to Madison Cohn for one of the exit interviews that I did, and I asked him which defensive backs fans should be on the lookout for. And the two that really came to mind first was Dean Ingram, one of the cornerbacks, and the other one that he said that jumps out was Blaylock. And he acknowledged that Blaylock's had a couple of injuries that he's had to overcome, but he called him one of the most explosive guys I've ever played with. And he said, 
if he can stay healthy, he's going to be really exciting to watch for the next couple of years. And that, that's the big if, because he hasn't been healthy enough to contribute. But I certainly think there could potentially be opportunities now that we know that Reggie's not going to be there, now that Eric Burrell has moved on. It's pretty clear that Scott Nelson and Colin Wilder are the top two guys. I would imagine that Titus Toller is potentially yeah. that third guy. Mm-hmm. He did get an interception early uh, last season, but didn't wind up playing a ton. He missed some time. And then Blaylock could be in that mix, too. I I think that certainly he'll have an opportunity. He's been moved around. I think he was a cornerback, and they, Leonard thought he was a better fit at safety. So those would be the two names uh, to watch. And, and of course, I, I need to mention Hunter Wohler and Braylon Allen, the two freshmen coming in. I don't know how game-ready they're going to be as true freshmen, and Braylon's coming in as a 17-year-old because he reclassified from 2021 uh, or 2022 to 2021. But uh, the future, I think, looks bright at that position. I was going to ask about those guys. Like, you know, if it, you better get it done this spring, right? Like, you better, you better make your mark this spring if you're one of those backup safeties because these guys, they're going to want to throw these other guys in the mix and see what they got. I mean, at least that, that's how I – this reminds me of, I don't know, the wide receivers a few years ago when Wisconsin was bringing in all those wide receivers. And, and I remember talking to Ted Gilmore and him saying, this is their time. They need to do it. I mean, the guys that were coming back, they need to show they can do it right now because in a few months, we're going to have all these other guys coming in and they're going to, we're going to give them an opportunity. So spring practice is going to be significant, I think, at, at safety for those guys. I would have to agree. I, every year there are a couple guys that you look at and you say – they probably have a good chance to play right away. And last year, there were. it's because of positional need. It's because of talent level. Last year, the ones that stood out were the guys who wound up playing. Chimre DK, Jalen Berger, Nick Herbig. And I feel like Wohler could be one of those guys in this class, even though he's not an early enrollee. He's a state's two-time player of the year, the AP two-time player of the year. He could play right away. He's that good. Allen is that talented. I just wonder, can a 17-year-old do that at the Big Ten level right away? But he's got so much versatility. He can be used as a hybrid um, at, like, the linebacker spot, at safety. Those guys, I think, are going to be really special for Wisconsin. There's a reason why there hadn't been any four-star defensive backs in the state during the online ranking era until those two guys came along. I mean, we we talk about him being 17, then you go and look at him. And you're like, yeah, that's he doesn't look 17. That ain't a 17 year old. Uh, <laughs> he is playing in the spring season up in Fond du Lac. So uh, he's getting some action, getting to see him a little bit here these uh, for the next uh, month or two playing in that spring ball, which is great to see uh, that these guys are getting an opportunity to play at least. I guess for him, it would be it is going to be his senior year. So that's that's nice that he's getting some time there. Um, all right. Overall, any under the radar guys that you have your eye on that we haven't already talked about going into spring practice next Tuesday and under the radar guy, who is, who is out there for you? Well, I don't know that he's under the radar, but one guy who comes to mind would be TJ bowlers just because they're, like I said, there are six early enrollees. So this would be our, if we do get to watch some practices, our first opportunity to see them at Wisconsin, Jim Leonard called him an outside linebacker plus on signing day. You don't hear that description very often. So he's coming in at outside linebacker. He could play on the defensive line in some capacity. He comes in, he's, he weighed 250 pounds. That's what he, he was listed at on signing day. They don't have outside linebackers that weigh that much. So what could he do right away? And some of the young guys that we, we got small doses of last year, what, what can someone like Devin Chandler do? Because, he was he had some huge moments in the in the bowl game. I mean, he had a 59-yard kickoff return that helped set up the a touchdown to tie the game at 21 
and he, he had an 18-yard run. He caught a couple passes. I think he's got a lot of potential. So those are two that stand out to me. I mentioned Julius Davis. I just want to know if he's healthy, what happens because of how good he was in high school. I mean, I, I did a story earlier in the week on just 25 underclassmen who are unproven, haven't don't have much experience to watch in the spring. So I think if you're a fan, it's exciting that there's that many guys that have the potential to contribute. Did you go into your article thinking about 25 or did you just come up with 25? I went in thinking I'd do 20 <laughs> because I did 20 last year. And then the more I was looking at it, I was like, ah, I don't want to forget about this guy. I don't want to forget about this guy because there's just so much young talent. And the crux of the, the article was it's all guys who played fewer than 100 snaps last season. So um, there are a lot of players that we've been hearing about for a while that didn't play 100 snaps last season. Even someone like Samar Melvin, who started a couple games, including the Big Ten Championship in 2019 when Rashad Wildgoose was injured. He only wound up playing 41 snaps last season. So what can he do in a, in a crowded cornerback room? There's just a ton of talent. I like that you brought him up because it actually brings me back to one more question that I had that I forgot to ask was Rashad Wildgoose was their, was their nickel. He was their guy mm-hmm. that was as versatile as anybody. Who's inside? I mean, they, they've played they played different guys there. Fayon played there a bunch. But like, is he the guy? Is he guy? This is is he the one that sticks inside, or is it somebody else? Well, I think it's going to be Fayon, and the reason that I think that is from talking to to Madison Cohn, because I mean that was a role that Madison wanted, and he ended up transferring and to to Buffalo, and what he said was that he met with coaches and he talked about what his role could be, and he had the option to stay, and and Leonard told him that he would be used, but it may not be in the role that he wants. And he talked about Fayon potentially being that guy. He, he said, it's me and Fayon being those guys who could man down the slot. And Fayon t- took that role late last season. So that's why I believe it'll be Fayon. Um, but obviously he can play anywhere. I'm, I would have thought, I mean, it could be any number of guys, but that's my guess right now. Yeah, and well, a lot of time to figure that out. Right, they got the hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed that they get all fifteen practices in, and uh, they don't have any any stoppages due to COVID. But there's big news from the Big Ten recently. I don't know if it'll matter for Wisconsin or not, but they uh, are now allowing attendance at all regular season competitions the rest of the school year, including spring games. Uh, They're just it's all going to be in accordance with local. Uh, regulations, which in Wisconsin or in, in Dane County and in Madison could mean that th- there will be no attendance, but who knows if they'll have a spring game anyways, right? I just, you know, we'll see. There hasn't been much of a spring game in recent years, even before the spring season was canceled last year. So I, I have no idea, but I hope people get the opportunity if it, it does exist. Yes, because uh, it's been a while since anybody, but any fans, uh, I mean, general public fans have been inside Camp Randall for a game. It's been a while. Purdue 2019, I think, uh, is last time, right? So, yeah. Wow. Jonathan uh, Taylor's final home performance when he took the victory lap. Correct. That's, and it that, feels like 12 years ago. Yeah, it does. So, uh, Jesse, hopefully we get to see each other very soon at Camp Randall Stadium. There's always stuff to cover. That's the beauty of a football program. So I look forward to it. All right. Thank you very much. You've been listening to The Camp here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.